The Coram Deo Church Community is a missional church rooted in historic, biblical Christianity and committed to cultural engagement. We hope the message you're about to hear spurs you to deeper reflection on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. This morning's scripture reading is from John 15, verse 17, through chapter 16, verse 4. These things I command you so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering sacrifice and service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father, nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. The word of God for the people of God. My name is Justin. I serve as one of the pastors here on staff. I have the uh, privilege of freeing up uh, Pastor Bob, giving him a break from preaching and uh, delivering God's word to you myself this morning. So if you have a Bible and you haven't opened it yet, please do so. We're going to be in uh, the end of John chapter 15, beginning of 16. If you don't have a Bible with you, under your seat, there should be one sitting in there, and we're going to be on page 848. Um, my gospel community that my family is a part of is awesome. I love it. Uh, like many of yours, we are outnumbered by kids. We have 10 adults. We have 16 kids, aged uh, 14 years old is the oldest, down to the youngest going to be born in about 18 weeks. So um, love gospel community, love the first 30 minutes of gospel community. Gives us oldest, older adults a chance to enter into the uh, worldview of the kids who are in the group, and it's a whole lot of fun. One family recently has been watching the Star Wars saga. Any fans? Okay, so watching the Star Wars saga, and one of the nine-year-olds comes up and says, hey, we just watched Empire Strikes Back which is arguably, no, I'll correct myself, is the best Star Wars movie out there. And the reason is, is because it gives you over and over again what you don't expect. That's the good guys getting it handed to them over and over and over again. 
I mean, the opening scene, right? Luke Skywalker on the ice planet of Hoth is, is attacked by a ferocious uh, character called a wampa. He's knocked unconscious, spends probably the first five minutes of the movie unconscious, comes to just in time to set himself free, only to find himself momentarily almost freezing to death, right? He is rescued. He's brought back to the uh, Echo base just in time to see the Imperial forces come upon the ice planet of Hoth and eradicate this Echo base, causing all of the rebels uh, to, to take off and to flee into outer space. You have Luke Skywalker, right? And then you have R2-D2 who take off and they're going to the Dagobah system, right? And they're going to find themselves crash landing on the planet of Dagobah while Han Solo, Princess Leia, Chewbacca, uh, R2-D2, they take off to try to gather with the other rebels somewhere in outer space. They find themselves landing in an asteroid field somewhere. Just when you think there's hope, Luke Skywalker finds Yoda and you think, okay, he's going to be trained in the force, but he humiliates himself, right? He's completely humbled in his training because he's not ready to, to carry the power of the force. Uh, while at the same time, you have Han Solo and his crew were almost eaten by a titanic space slug in the middle of outer space. It's crazy what's happening, right? They take off. They find refuge. Or what they hope to find is refuge on the Cloud City, which is governed by Lando Calrissian. Um, but when they, as soon as they land there, they, they know something's up, and something is up because Darth Vader had shown up about 30 minutes before them, right? Trying to trap them to bring Luke Skywalker out to rescue them. Uh, they fall into the trap. Han Solo, great scene. Han Solo is about to be dropped into carbonite, right? Throughout the movie, there's this thing where Han is trying to win over the affections of Princess Leia. It's great. Comes to this scene, Han's about to go into carbonite. Princess Leia looks at him and says, I love you. He looks right back at her and says, I know carbonite. It's amazing, right? Like any guy who can stand there and just be like, I know, is impressive. Okay. The trap works. Luke Skywalker is drawn into Cloud City uh, only to find, spoiler alert, his dad's there. His dad cuts off his arm. Next thing you know, he's falling through what seems to be a gigantic HVAC system only to find himself hanging on by like an arm or a leg when his friends come to rescue him. And at the end of the movie, there's practically no hope, right? Like things have just gone bad. The empire has struck back. And I know what you're asking. What does any of this have to do with John 15? Well, here's, here's what I'll tell you, okay? What you see in The Empire Strikes Back is things go from not so good to bad, and then from bad to worse. What we see here in the farewell discourse Keep in mind the audiences of who's being addressed. Jesus is addressing his disciples only hours before his betrayal, uh, before he is arrested, before he is crucified. And he is loving them by communicating to them, things are going to go from not so good to bad. And things are going to go from bad to worse. Also keep in mind, John, who's writing this letter, is writing this letter in the first century to first century disciples who have experienced decades of persecution. And he's reminding them of, hey, remember what Jesus said. Things, were gonna, things are going to go, and we're going to go from not so good to bad, and from bad to worse. So you look at this text, and you're like, man, not too many people preach about the hatred of the world. But that's what we're going to address this morning, because it's what's in the text. And here's what we see is that, that Jesus, that John, they're doing their work to love us in light of the fact 
of what Jesus says in verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. But they're not left without comfort. God's people, no matter how challenging, how difficult the circumstances in life are, are never left without comfort. Which brings me to my big idea this morning, which is what we see here at the end of John 15 into into chapter 16. God's chosen people are promised both conflict and comfort. God's chosen people are promised both conflict and comfort. Let's unpack this idea together. First off, God's people are a chosen people. This is a theme that will help you to make sense of all of the scriptures to see that from Abraham, from Isaac, to Jacob, through Saul, to King David, from Jesus to his disciples, the orientation has always been that God is the active agent choosing people for himself. God often is found reminding Israel throughout the Old Testament, keep in mind, you did not choose me. God says to them, I chose you. One of Jesus' disciples, another disciple, not John, but Peter, um, writes it this way in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says to the church, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I'm not sure many of you have watched uh, the series Chosen uh, that's out there. If you haven't, I want to recommend it. My family has been watching it in the evenings for the last month or so. Uh, series one, series, uh, season one, season two. Uh, and the, the, the narrative arc of, this, of the series, The Chosen, it, it's really following the disciples uh, as, they're, as they're walking with Jesus, trying to figure out who is this man and what has he come to do? Like, that's the thing that they're wrestling with throughout. And one of the things that, uh, that kind of knits it all together is this idea that each and every one of Jesus' disciples has been chosen by him for a particular purpose, which gives significance and meaning uh, to what we see in the middle of John 15, verse 9, where Jesus says, you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. One of the most significant implications of being God's chosen people is the idea that this world is no longer your home. This world is no longer your home. You've been chosen out of this world. You've been redeemed. You've been set free from the penalty and the power of sin, and you've been set free for life in the kingdom of God, which means you're never really going to fit in. And I tell you, if you are a high schooler in the room, if you are a college student in the room, if you can just embrace the true reality that you're just never really going to fit into this world, it's going to help to make sense of the world that you're living in and the world that's around you. As much as you try to be relevant, as much as you try to make yourself significant, as much as you try to contextualize your life or build bridges with the culture, at the end of the day, you're not going to fit in with this world because you're not of this world, right? Jesus has called you out of this world into something far 
greater and far more significant. Now, don't hear me saying, don't contextualize, don't live as missionaries, don't try to engage the world around you in a meaningful way. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is don't compromise who Jesus has called you to be for the sake of trying to fit into a world that will ultimately reject you because of what you believe and who you believe in. Right? You've been called out of this world. And as God's chosen people who've been called out of this world, uh, you can bank on two things. As God's chosen people, you can bank on two things. Conflict and comfort. Right? So let's take a look. God's chosen people are promised conflict. My first trip to the Dominican Republic on a church planting uh, kind of scouting trip a number of years ago, uh, I was down there with a handful of people from Coram Deo, and we were visiting a village of Cativo, where there was actually some, uh, some people from Brookside Church down the street had gone there to help to plant a church that was led by native Dominicans in that area. Uh, so there had been a few years of just good investment there to see a church plant come in, and we had gone there to kind of just explore and see, hey, what, what's, going, what's going on here? What's this look like now? And I remember that first trip there, there was a lady who came down the street to the fence line of the property we were at, and she had a machete in her hand. Keep in mind, a machete there is used as like an agricultural tool, okay? But she had a machete in her hand, and she was banging on the fence, and she was yelling at us, saying something along the lines of, those gringos got to go, right? Those gringos got to leave, right? Us white, white people needed to leave the area because they knew, and she knew, that uh, our presence there was encouraging to the church, was building into the church, was strengthening the church. And what we had heard is she had been a disciple of um, a kind of a more prominent spiritual leader in the area, um, and, and they did not want the kingdom of God breaking through there, okay? A picture of the world hating the kingdom of God breaking in. Now, uh, the way that you experience hatred from the world, right, if we're honest, is, is probably not going to look like you risking your life for the sake of the gospel. But, but it may mean that you feel pushed to the margins of society. It may mean that you feel like you, you're alienated or you're left out of some social circles. It may mean for you that you feel like you're getting passed over for a job because of some of the convictions you have in life. It, it may mean for you that you're being moved out of a job because of, of where you're drawing the line in the sand on what you believe and who you believe in. Right? It may mean that you're being misunderstood by those around you because walking with Jesus will put you in conflict with the world. And not all conflict is a result of you being a Christian in the world, right? Um, Paul David Tripp is known as often saying, sinners tend to respond sinfully to being sinned against, which means a lot of the conflict that we experience in life is not because we're Christians, right, and the world is, is hating us, but it's just because we're sinners and we hurt people and people hurt us. And a lot of our conflict comes out of that sort of interpersonal interaction. But there is a degree of conflict. There is a degree of persecution, there is a degree of alienation that comes from the world around you. Jesus speaks to it in John 15, verses 18 through 21. He says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the, world, the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, 
they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they don't know him who sent me. Augustine framed it out this way, real simply. He said, the world condemned persecutes. The world reconciled suffers persecution. Now, it's important for us to not misunderstand the world as merely being the people out there, right? The atheists, the agnostics, the secular world outside of the religious community, because if you notice the text, it seems like the persecution uh, and the opposition is coming from within. Look at John 16, verses 1 through 3. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away, but they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. Back up ahead in in John 15, verse 25. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. Friends, I want you to see that if we're going to be faithful to the gospel... We must have our eyes open to the reality that there are two kinds of worldly oppositions to the gospel of grace. That's a religious opposition and an irreligious opposition. So why does the gospel of grace elicit such a violent opposition from both the religious people of the world and the irreligious segments of society? Well, it's because grace is going to be disruptive before it's redemptive. Grace is always disruptive before it is redemptive. John Calvin says it this way. He says, the gospel cannot be published without instantly driving the world to rage because it sabotages all forms of self-salvation. It sabotages all forms of self-salvation. So think about this. We live in a world that is easily deceived into thinking power, success, Comfort, recognition, these are all ways, all forms of self-salvation. And that perception of the world in that way can be seen both within religious communities and outside of religious communities. But God's kingdom has no room for self-salvation. God's kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. See, God's kingdom is not concerned about taking liberals and making them more conservative or making conservatives and and making them become more liberal. Rather, God's kingdom takes the values of this world and sets you free from them and flips them upside down. That's why it's called an upside down kingdom. I love this quote from Tim Keller. He says, Christians are no longer controlled by the things that the world thinks are so critical. We are not controlled by power, success, comfort, or recognition. You don't need them. They don't drive you. They don't control you. You can take them or leave them. That is the first mark of somebody who is living in the upside-down kingdom. So here's what it means to live a gospel-centered life. Here's what it means to live a life united with the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. It's a life set free from needing to seek the values of this world in this world because in the gospel, the very things that our soul is longing for have been satisfied and gifted to us in the finished work of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus himself became weak in your place so that you could get the eternal power of communion with the Father. Jesus became poor, poor, so that you could receive the successful, unperishable inheritance of the kingdom of God. Jesus was crucified so that you could be comforted. Jesus was humbled and alienated and humiliated so that you could receive the recognition that your soul is longing for, the recognition and the acceptance that your soul needs to receive from God the Father. See, the gospel in and of itself sets you free from the things of this world and seeking value in the things of the world because Jesus Christ in his finished work has already gifted all of that to you. Here's what this means. The world is is not going to like you. The world is going to uh, want to push against you. The world is arguably going to hate you because you're no longer playing its game, right? You're living countercultural. You no longer bow down to the value structures of the world. You don't play by its rules. You don't walk in darkness any longer because you've been called and brought into God's marvelous light. So just think, in what ways are you experiencing conflict with the world? I mean, I feel like it's necessary to ask the question, has your love for Jesus put you in conflict with the world? Because it's one of the defining marks of a disciple of Jesus Christ. Again, remember what Jesus said, that there is, there is no servant who is greater than the master, right? Jesus says, if he's going to experience persecution, so are you going to experience persecution. So God's chosen people are promised conflict with the world, but not only that, they're also promised comfort. Which, again, I want to ask the question, when you experience conflict from the world, where do you go for comfort? Where do you go? Do you retreat? Do you escape? Do do you try to find comfort in harboring resentment? Where do you go? I think in this text we can see three particular sources of comfort for God's people when they're experiencing conflict with the world. Three uh, sources of comfort. The first one is this, the comfort of God's word. The comfort of God's word. John 16, verse 1, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Dr. Gary Nebaker, who was a a pastor here, an elder for a number of years uh, before he moved to Arizona, which sounds great this time of year, um, he would oftentimes say that most often it's pain and suffering that causes people to fall away from Jesus. It's pain, it's suffering, it's persecution, it's those things that keep us from falling away that keep us um, moving away from Jesus. D.A. Carson says it this way, the greatest danger the disciples will confront from the opposition of the world is not death, but apostasy. So here's what this means. 
experiencing conflict with the world, whether it be persecution, whether it be uh, feeling rejected out of some social circles, whether it be being passed over for a certain job or misunderstood by students in your class, whatever it is, those things are not the worst case scenario. According to Jesus, the worst case scenario would be abandoning him, be choosing the world over him. So Jesus says, don't fear, don't fall away. This conflict is coming. Find comfort in my words. Jesus says in John 16, verse 4, but I have said these things to you that when the hour comes, you may remember that I have told them to you. Keep in mind that the hatred of the world is not a sign or an indication that things are going wrong. Rather, the hatred of the world is a sign that God's redemptive plan is continuing to unfold in the way that Jesus said it would. Leslie Newbigin said this, the hatred and rejection of the world is not to be a cause of alarm or distress. On the contrary, it is to be a ground of confidence, both because it is the confirmation of the fact that the disciples really do belong to Jesus and because it will be the occasion for the mighty witness of the spirit of truth. First place you can find comfort according to this text is in God's word. The second place you can find comfort according to this text is through God's spirit. God's people are invited to find comfort in God's spirit. John 15 verses 26 and 27. But when the helper comes, who I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Now, if you, if you look in your Bible, you'll see that next week we're going to spend a lot of time talking about the role of the Holy Spirit. But see this week that the, the Holy Spirit will come. He will bear witness to sin, to righteousness, to judgment. The Spirit of God will come and speak through uh, speak to the church in terms of bearing witness about what is ultimate reality, what is right, what is wrong. The Spirit bears witness in that way, confirming what we know and what we know is true in our hearts. And the Spirit has come as a helper, as a Spirit of truth, to bring comfort to the people of God when they're facing conflict. The third source in this text, if we have comfort can be found in God's word and comfort can be found in God's spirit, the third source is comfort can be found in God's people. As my children get older, uh, they come to really appreciate and value uh, what we've kind of coined as like safe places. Places where they can go and they can be who they are, right? They can they can be who they are in their real selves. They can, they can believe what they believe, right? They can hold to their convictions and they don't feel threatened that they're gonna be exposed to things that they don't wanna be exposed to, whether it be language or images or whatever it is, right? They, they long for these safe spaces. And what we've found is that as our kids get older, those spaces become fewer and fewer. Even this last year around the holidays, we noticed as our kids are getting older, so are some of the cousins and extended family and stuff like that. And what used to be real safe places around the holidays are now kind of not as safe as they used to be. Our souls long for safe places. And the people of God, the church, should be a safe place for comfort and for refuge. 
Again, keep in mind that right before Jesus kind of leans into this, this discourse, this instruction about how the world is going to hate you, he says these words in John 15, verse 17. These things I command you so that you will love one another. See the contrast between love and hate. Why do we fight so hard for gospel culture? Why do we care so much about rooting out jealousy and envy and gossip and discord among the people of God? Why do we try to cultivate the virtues of love and service and caring for one another? Because the people of God are supposed to be a safe place. The people of God are a place where we should go to find refuge and to find safety and to find comfort. When the world out there is working against us, when we gather together, man, this should be a place where our soul experiences grace and mercy and, and understanding, a beautiful picture of unity as we come together. So let me ask you again, where do you turn for comfort when you feel conflict with the world? Where do you turn? According to this text, the word of God, the spirit of God, the people of God are all there to provide comfort when you're feeling conflict. God's chosen people are promised two things, conflict and comfort. Let me close with two simple things as we wrap up our time. First, genuinely want to encourage you as the people of Coram Deo to have a posture of joyful confidence as we live out in the world. Sounds counterintuitive, doesn't it? The world's going to hate you. The world's going to oppress you. The world's going to push against you. And here, here's what I think the invitation is, to be joyfully confident as we step out into the world. The persecution of the world, the hatred of the world, does not give any one of us the right to be a jerk. And if you just scroll the social medias, you can just find so many people who wear the hatred of the world or persecution as a badge to justify being unloving, being uncaring, being snarky, to justify non-virtuous behavior, right? The hatred of the world doesn't give any one of us, myself included, the right to be a jerk. So let's choose joy. Let's choose joy. And not just joy, but a joyful confidence. See, the world may not approve of your beliefs. They may take your beliefs completely out of context and use them against you. But don't be surprised. Take comfort in Jesus' words. Take comfort in the Holy Spirit. Take comfort in one another. Take comfort in knowing that the hatred of the world is not an indication that the kingdom of God is on retreat. Rather, it's an indication that the kingdom of God is continuing to advance forward in the world. Therefore, you can step out of this room into this week with joyful confidence that Jesus' good purposes are being accomplished around us and through us. And we can step into that confidence with great joy. The final appeal, one to joyful confidence. The other one is perhaps for those of you who have yet to surrender your life to Jesus by faith. See in this text the contrasts, love and hate. Jesus is drawing a line in the sand. 
says in verse 22, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. The sin that he's speaking of here is the sin of rejecting Jesus. It's the sin of unbelief. See, you can choose to love the world and live in opposition to Jesus and the Father. Or you can choose to surrender your life to Jesus and be opposed by the world. Both come with a cost. Rejecting Jesus comes with a cost. Embracing Jesus comes with a cost. Therefore, here at Coram Deo, if, if you've yet to surrender your life to Jesus, here's, here's what I can tell you. We want you to do so with your eyes wide open. We're not going to try to manipulate you into faith. We're not going to bring up the worship team, and we're not going to dim the lights down, and we're not going to tell you to close your eyes and, and try to manipulate you into some way into trusting in Jesus. We understand the words of Jesus. What he's calling you into is something costly. But it's something beautiful. So we want you to come to faith in Jesus with your eyes wide open. Embracing Jesus, surrendering your life to Jesus will come with a cost. The world may laugh at you. The world may dismiss you. The world may marginalize you. The world may persecute you. But hear this really clearly. You were made for more than what this world has to offer. You were made for more than what this world has to offer. You were made for life in God's kingdom. You were made for a life of joy, a life of fruitfulness, a life with eternal significance. And every time we open the scriptures and we read about the life and the ministry of Jesus, that offer is extended once again. So would you come to Jesus this morning with your eyes wide open, knowing that it comes with a cost, but knowing it's worth it? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your particular and personal love that has chosen us out of this world and welcomed us into the kingdom of God. We continue to pray that your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, and, and until the time of your return, we acknowledge that as your chosen people, we will experience conflict. Would you help us to count it a joy to serve you in these ways? Comfort us with your words. Comfort us by your spirit. Comfort us through one another. And would that comfort position us to live each and every day with a posture of joyful confidence towards the world. And we pray for those right now who have yet to surrender their life to you, Jesus. Would you open their eyes to see that life with you and life in your kingdom is far more satisfying and joy-producing than what this world has to offer. This world constantly wants to take and take and take while you graciously give yourself away. We praise you as our generous and comforting king. We pray these things ultimately for your glory and also for our good. 
Amen.